You're loving the snow. Be honest, you really like it. Okay, that's good. How many of you, it's like you'd, you'd be fine if it never snowed in Colorado. Okay, look at that, man. And see, here we are under one roof loving God and loving each other. See, that's a good sign. That's a really good sign. We are so delighted that uh, you are here. We are continuing our series. I, I, I thank you for wanting to learn more about God. I thank you for being here today. I thank you for having a heart that says, I'm going to read God's word and we're going to go verse by verse and I want to make applications to my life. That's a big deal. I, I want today, today to talk about, I've titled it, To Whom Do I Belong? To Whom Do I Belong? Now, I just already this week, I've had two people come up to me and they had their phone in hand and they had pictures and they said, this is my son or this is my granddaughter. Or this is, you know, and, and they're, they're basically saying they are mine. Well, how many of you know they're really not yours? They're really not yours. No one belongs to us, really. We all belong to God. Have you ever heard the phrase, he or she is a self-made man or woman? You know, it's kind of that idea that they did it alone. Any, any self-made men or women in here? How many of you have parents? Okay, you are not self-made. You are not self-made. You have parents. You have a mom and a dad. That's how you got on this planet. And so we have to keep that in mind as we walk through this today because it's really an important concept. We do not belong to ourselves alone. We are created in the image of God. Now that's where this story, my assignment today is in Mark chapter 12, verse 13 through verse 44. So if you have a, a Bible, just lay it open, follow along. We're going to skip around a little bit, but we're going to touch all the stories as we walk through it. The first thing I want you to write down is this. You are created in, in the image of God. Jesus is about to have an encounter that the people who ask him a question want conflict. They do not like Jesus. They actually are giving him kind of a backhanded compliment to butter him up. Have you ever had someone, you know, say something really nice about you because they were getting ready to ask you to do something for them? <laughs> That's what these guys are doing right now. So I want you to keep that in mind as we read this. Mark 12, verse 13. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They were sick of him. They were tired of him. He was famous. People were following him. You know, he was healing people, delivering people, horrible stuff like that. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial, and you don't play favorites. You teach the way, God, the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, and here's the loaded question, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin, and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. Now let's open this up a little bit and talk about it. First of all, why is this a trap? What's the big deal about the money and paying taxes to Caesar? 
The name Caesar, first of all, after Julius Caesar, um, became common to all emperors. Kind of like the, the, the Old Testament has the word Pharaoh, and there were many different people. That's what Caesar was. The Caesar who reigned at this time when this story happened, his name was Tiberius. Now, Tiberius was one of the most wicked Caesars ever in history. He was a, a sex-addicted, immoral man, a pedophile. The things, if you read history about him, I can't even say the things he did in a setting like this. It is horrific, and it just makes me sick. And Jesus knew that about Tiberius. So he's really in a bind because, because he, they know he would never want to support someone like that. So that's why this is kind of a big deal. There's no doubt that Jesus is sickened by Tiberius. So they're trying to trap him in a political and a religious right conflict. Here's what the deal is. If he should say that it was not lawful to pay taxes, then the Herodians were ready to accuse him of being an enemy to Caesar. He could be arrested. And, and, and the Pharisees were ready to accuse him to the, to the people of holding an opinion extremely unpopular among them if he said otherwise. So he's caught in this tension between those two things. So he goes with this idea of this image on a coin. Now, I want you to just imagine how this happened because this is very important to understand what he's doing. He takes out a coin. It doesn't matter if it was a lot of money or a little money. The point is the coin had a stamp on it and it had a name on it. And so I want you to imagine this scene where you've got all this re these religious leaders around who do not like or accept Jesus or his teaching and they want to have him arrested. They are not representing the one true God at all. And he says, give me the coin. And he takes the coin and he says, whose image is on the coin? And they say, well, Caesar's. And I can see him handing it back and saying, well, then why don't you give to Caesar what is his? But why don't you give to God? I can see him pointing at them. I don't know if he did. The Bible doesn't say he did. I can just see it in my mind. Why don't you give to God what is God's? That's a powerful moment because back in Genesis chapter 1, it says we are created in the image of God. That word that he's using, image, right there is a parallel word going back to Genesis saying, you have a stamp on you. You have an image on you as well. And you belong to God. God's name is on you. They didn't know what to do with that. And they, were, they marveled at the fact that he could, he could answer that question without getting in trouble. The second thing I want you to write down is this. You are created to love God. We are all born with a capacity to love. I know a lot of tough things happen to people, and sometimes we lose those capacities, and people live in anger, they live in hate, they live in violence. But God's intention and his image for us is that we have the capability to fully love God. Verse 28. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate, and he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Oh, that's a, that's a big question, but Jesus knew right away. He replied, the most important commandment is this. And then he's going to quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, 
with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Now those four things are really, really big. He goes on to say something else, which we'll get to in a minute. When he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, they knew where he was going. They knew what he was about to say because they knew uh, what Deuteronomy 6 said. This literally means Yahweh, our God, is the one God, the one Yahweh. The other nations in the Old Testament worshipped many, many gods. What set the Jewish people apart was that they worshipped one God, Yahweh, and he was the one true God. This was a great truth. And he says, love God, and he uses that special Greek word. There's like seven words for love in the New Testament. And this is the word agapeo, or agape, which means that special kind of divine love that is completely unselfish and, and completely um, incapable of us doing probably really without having God or the work of the Spirit in our lives. That kind of love, love God with that kind of love. And then, he's, and then he breaks it down into four things. So that's kind of what I want to do today. And I'm going to have you, if you, I don't think it's in your notes like the word heart, soul, mind, and strength, but if you want to just put a little, put that word, and then I would love for you to give some thought about how we could love the Lord with our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. I've done some thinking about this, but I would love for you to add to that if you have thoughts that you know, I get to preach this several more times this weekend, so just put it on a card and bring it up here after service, and I'll have it. I'd love that. But anyway, I, I want you to think about this. With all of our heart, this, this word heart means all of your affections. That's probably the best word that describes it. It's at the top of the list. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Note that treasure comes first and the heart follows. The heart becomes captured by the things we treasure, the things that I have affection for. To love God with all of my heart means that God will be central to every single thing I do in my life. It means that the affections of my life will be godly. Now, I realize that shaving in the morning, isn't necessarily loving God, right? Um, the tasks that you do isn't necessarily loving God. But if you love God with all of your heart, there's going to be a joy and a something in you that is giving yourself fully to God in all the work that you do. The affections of your life will be godly. And then I think with all my soul, what, is that, what does that mean? The word soul here is different than the word heart. When we love God with all of our soul, it's by living a life of faithfulness to all that the Lord has required of us. Now, hear this. While loving the Lord with all of our heart has to do with affection, loving the Lord with all of our soul has to do with devotion. That's how I've, I would separate the two. The soul, literally, is the part of us that defines who we are. The essence of the biblical definition for soul means life, it means personality, it means the inner self, and it means our identity. It's the DNA of us. It's where we make decisions and choices that ultimately decide our lifestyle and our behavior. Think of the soul as the core of you. To love the Lord your God with all of your soul means to love him in the way that we live every day. The choices we make, 
in our behaviors, our lifestyles. That's loving God with your soul. I, I, I was thinking about this. I wonder if you could jot down how your lifestyle reflects that you love God. You think you could? What is it in your life that somehow reflects that place of someone recognizing they really love God by the way they live? That's loving God with your soul. And that's a challenge because that's the day-to-day -day grindy stuff. That's, they say, you know, where the rubber hits the road. It has to do with our life patterns. It has to do with the attitudes that we have. You ever talk to someone and within five minutes, you know they're just mad at the world? <laughs> you know, it's just like, wow, what happened to them? <laughs> How many of you work with someone like that? How many of you have someone in your house like, no, don't raise your hand if you do. <laughs> See, my devotion, using the word soul, my devotion to God causes me to make righteous decisions in my life. Uh, this, is, this is a good example of, of sometimes even things you don't want to do. But when you love God with all your soul, you make decisions based on what's right and righteous. I've, I've met several people, several women over the years who got pregnant and they were uh, chain smokers and a, a couple of them really heavy drinkers. And when they realized they were pregnant, they had to make a decision. Will I be a devoted mom in loving this child in my womb and not take in that smoke during my pregnancy and not drink alcohol? And they, I, I prayed for them. I've stood right here and prayed for pregnant women who say, I've got to make this tough decision, and it's hard because I, I've tried to quit smoking for years. But that little baby inside of them and their devotion to that journey caused them to be able to quit smoking. Now, I know that's probably not true in every case, but in many of the cases that we prayed, that was the truth. Now, do you think that after they walked out of here and they went back home and they had that pack of cigarettes laying there, that they looked at it and went, oh, that's disgusting. I don't want to have anything to do with that. I love you, little baby. No, I don't think so. I think they probably had to get rid of those things, get them out of their house, because there would be moments they wanted a smoke. Bad. The desire wouldn't just go away, but their devotion, the soul, the loving that child with their soul said, I'm going to make a better choice. I'm going to do something that I don't even want to do, but it's the right thing to do. And when I love God with all of my soul, that's what helps me navigate through those times when I'm tempted and a thought comes in my mind. I have a desire. I want something that's not pleasing to God. And I love him with my soul. And so I will be devoted to the right thing. And the Spirit will help you and lead you. So even though we're tempted, our soul love and our devotion for God will be of greater importance to us than that flesh desire. Though they, they are real though they are real. How do I love him with all my mind? My heart, my soul, my mind. I hope, I hope you brought your mind, okay? And I want you to think about this with me. A.W. Tozer once said this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about God. 
That's just an interesting quote. It made me think quite a bit this week. How do I love God with my mind, my knowledge? Loving God with your mind means knowing, I mean, using knowledge in a way that advances the kingdom of God. How many of you are pretty bright? <laughs> How many of you know you're sitting next to someone that's really bright? They're just humble, okay? They're just humble. Do we ever talk about how we love God with our mind? I mean, this is right, this is, this is, the, this is the most important thing. Jesus says this is the greatest commandment on the planet. So we need to get this right. How do I love God with my mind? You know, when I wake up, do I go, I love you, 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 I love you. Do I just go into this repetition thing with my brain? No, that's not loving him with my mind. I think there's some ways you can love him with your mind. Using knowledge. I think another way is the way that you reason. All of you have logic processes. Now, <laughs> some of you are thinking, you don't know my wife or my husband. They don't have logic processes. It's always funny because people have different processes of doing things, but we all have Logic. We all have reason. What is reason? It's the ability to make decisions based on past experience, based on a current situation, based on danger, based on fear. It's, it's how our brain comes to a decision. And sometimes it's in a second. It's about a safety issue or someone's swerving in the lane and your brain goes 100 miles an hour trying to fix this, this problem, this situation. How can you use your reasoning ability for the glory of God. I think one of the ways we can is to make sure that our logical processes and our reasoning are holy. That we're not going to use logic to justify what we know isn't right. We're so good at this. It's awful, isn't it? I, the other day, I was, I, I'm telling you, I had a battle in my mind. And it's, it wasn't sinful, but I had just eaten lunch and I, I ate too much lunch. And I don't like it when I, when I overeat. And I was kind of disgusted with myself. And I was going by, this happened to be in, in Estes Park. We had a pastor's prayer thing up there. And I drove by downtown and I saw a Dairy Queen <laughs> on the side of the road there. And I was full. I mean, I, I honestly was full. And I went past it. And I, I turned around. And I went through this, they're working on the parking lot, and it's all fenced off, and it took me, it was like God put up so many roadblocks for me. I, I literally was going the wrong way on a one-way and trying to dart into this parking area that was the wrong way, and this car was coming at me, and I, the Holy Spirit was saying, no, 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 no. No, I'm kidding. I don't spiritualize everything, but I finally got parked. I got all so excited because hot fudge Sundays are something that I know will be in heaven. I know they will. I was so full, but I, I just had room for that. And my mind started to justify this. You haven't had one of these in several months. And, you know, you'll eat a light supper tonight. And I'm just so excited. How many of you know when you're excited to eat something, you start to taste it like you do. You start to taste it. And I'm walking up to the door, and I get to the door, and it says, closed for the season. <laughs> See you March, whatever it was. I was so mad because I had busted through the temptation and I was going to be guilty and I couldn't. 
See, that's a simple, funny story, but, but that's what we do sometimes. What if that thing is a sin? What if there's something that's really wrong? And I turn around, and I go back to take another look. I go back to taste. I go back to experience. That's how our logic and our reasoning can be used in loving God, is let your logic and your reasoning honor God. Another way is your memory. I don't know if you still memorize stuff. How many of you say, I don't have enough brain left to memorize anything else? I would just challenge you, never give up on putting little things to memory because your mind still works fine. The, this book is a great thing to memorize. And even if it's just one phrase out of a verse, you know, I, I used to be amazed. I'm not a good memory person in, in the sense of memorizing. I had some friends that could just memorize books of the Bible in like Bible quiz. And, you know, I was so happy to get a few verses down. And I, but I, I still work at, at memorizing Scripture and putting it in my life. Another way is by controlling your imagination and using your imagination for good stuff and stuff that's empowering. How do you currently use your imagination? That's a huge question. I hope you'll write it down and think about it this week. What do you daydream about? Catch yourself this week. In your imagination, oh, if I won that lottery, the first thing I would buy. What do, you, what do you dream about? When you use your imagination for God, good things happen. And the vision of God can happen in your life. Don't forget that. With all your strength, I've got to hurry, I know, sorry. Um, I just get caught up in these four things. I should have just made the whole sermon about these four probably. But I'll get you out on time, don't worry. With all your strength, with all your strength. So my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. So what is that? This, this word has to do with the physical being. So I'm, I'll make this quick. Think about this. What would be some examples of how you can, you can love God with your physical body? Could you, can you love God with your hands? How? By helping others? By fixing someone's flat tire, by showing up and helping, by, you know, I'm talking about your physical ability to love God. And, and, and go through the process of, of your eyes, your ears, your voice. How, how do you love God with your voice? How do you love God with your eyes? How do you love God with your ears? Do you care about what you listen to? You, it's amazing to me some of the things that people listen to. And, and, and they, they, they say they want to be godly. And I just think it's important for us to say, I'm going to love God with all my strength. Okay, number three. You are created to love others. This is the second part of the greatest commandment. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 31. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Jesus is quoting from another passages, uh, passage in Leviticus. It's chapter 19, verse 18. St. Augustine said this, Every man must be thought of as a neighbor, for evil must be committed toward no one. Do you love your neighbor? When we say that because of the word neighborhood, we think sometimes of our neighbors, literally. Well, you should love them too. But especially in this day and age, the question, who is your neighbor, really matters. Would you, would you agree? If we can get that right, we can, we can settle a lot of issues. Our, our neighbor, in light of what's just been said in the story previous about the image of God, 
Our neighbor is anyone who is created in the image of God. Anyone who has God's stamp on them. Now that doesn't mean, how many of you know that people who have not come to faith still have God's stamp on their life? They do. They're stamped by God. Why? Because they are created in his image. Whether they ever acknowledge the love of God or not, they are still made in the image of God. Even if they hate that, if they resist that, they still are. His stamp is on them. That's why we have a responsibility to love our neighbor, everyone with that stamp on it. Everyone is created in the likeness of God. That's who I love. I don't love people just because they're my race, my nation. I love people who don't love me back. That's our, that's our goal. I really, that's why racism is such a horrible sin. And why people justify that in their mind or how they can, I don't know. But for believers who are following God, to love God with all your heart, with all those things, and then to love your neighbor, to love those who have the image of God stamped on, love them as you love yourself. That, that is such a proactive idea. Can I love my neighbors as I love myself without God's help? I don't think so. Not agape kind of love. Because I think it takes the work of the Spirit in our lives to love our neighbor as ourselves. I, I wanna close by the last point because this is a great, a great way this little story comes to a close in this section. You are created to give your all. We're created for all of these things, but it, I want you to look at this story. This is one of my favorite stories. In verse 41 it says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts, and a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. They gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. That's sacrificial giving. That's to the max. can't. I can't even imagine that. How does God measure giving? When Jesus completed this teaching that we've just been talking about, that happened probably in the court of the Gentiles. If you were here a few weeks ago, Pastor Brent talked all about that court of the Gentiles. Jesus probably went over to the area of the temple that's called the court of women. And the treasury was located there. And there's an adjoining walkway. In this area, there's seven boxes in which worshipers can deposit their temple tax. And then there's six boxes for what would be called free will offerings. And from his vantage point, he could see these people giving. A lot of money came into the temple through the temple tax, but then a lot of money came in through the offerings. But it was always a show because it was public. It was outside. It was in a public setting. And how many of you as a, kid, as a kid ever went to vacation Bible school? Did you ever have a contest on the boys and the girls bringing the most money? And they did it by weight. And so we would have, you know, a $10 bill put into pennies. And it was so exciting to hear it clank in the buckets, you know, and pouring all this money. That's probably what it kind of sounded like. There were literally people who would get their currency, most of it was in coin anyway, back in that day, and they would rattle they would want it to rattle in the bucket. They would want people to hear the noise of how much they are giving, and it just continued. Well, this little lady, 
totaled two small copper coins, the smallest Jewish coin in the circulation of Palestine. Each coin was called a lepton, a lepta for plural. It's about one-sixty-fourth of a denarius, which was one day's wage. And she gave it all, and it's all she had. I want to challenge you to recognize this. How do I give sacrificially? I have a frame in my office, and I'll close with this story or this fact. I still have it to this day. When we broke ground on this 35 acres, we were in a campaign to raise money, believing God to help us to get this building built. We were over on LeMay, our other facility, and a little girl came up to me. She was about this tall. I have her name, but I won't say it. And she handed me a 20 and a $5, a $20, a 20 bill and a five bill. And she looked up at me and I can just still see her little face and she put this in my hand and she said, I want to give this to the building fund. It's, it's my whole savings account. You know me, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You, you don't need to be doing that. She gave all she had. I'm just, it's powerful to me when we love God that much that we say, I'll give my mind, my heart, my body, my strength, and everything else that comes into my hand. Lord, help us to see this big picture. Help us to get this right. Help us to pay attention to what you're saying to us in a moment like this. It's not about us writing a check that empties our bank account. That's not what, that's not what this is. This is about the heart that says you own it all. Our possessions, but even more, our mind, our heart, our strength, our soul. It's amazing to me, God, that you don't come in and demand that, but you allow us to give it to you. So we give you our devotion, our love, our care. Would you rearrange some things in our lives in a moment like this? Would you bring clarity to those things that have brought confusion to us? Would you help us to respond in honesty? To whom do we belong, really? With heads bowed in here, the obvious we could walk through the prayer points of raise your hand for this and that and the other, but I, I have to just say, would you respond in the areas that the Holy Spirit is nudging you? Some of you, it's the love of God, peace. And you need to just say, I'm not loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I want to. Just own that right now. Tell him, Lord, we come to you, we need this. We offer our lives afresh. I want to give you my all. For some of you, the big challenge right now is loving your neighbor. Literally, people in countries you've never been in and you speak evil about, maybe. God doesn't see the borders like we see them, folks. He sees the souls of men and women, and children and young people, with his image stamped upon them. And all the politics and all the war and all the challenges and all the hate blurs our vision to be able to love our neighbor as ourselves. But in kingdom life, that's a discipline. And let's do that right now. Let's just own it. Lord, show us 
anything in us that's not honoring to you about loving our neighbor. And show us how to give sacrificially of our time, talent, and treasure for the glory of God, we pray it. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys. I'm proud of you. And I thank God for the journey we're on. Let's be faithful. Let's be faithful. Praise God. Ushers, come. We're going to receive our regular tithe and offering and give you an opportunity just to give to the Lord. Thank you for giving through Timberline and for the great stuff that lies ahead for our fellowship as we trust God. Because we want to give it all. We want to be a church that's giving back to our community. So thanks for helping us to do that. Lord, meet every need through this offering. I pray for people who need jobs, people whose finances are in a mess right now. Would you just touch them? Show them that you are there, that they can offer their lives afresh. Meet every need, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. understand the power of that word love and to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Thank you for this word. Thank you that you called it the greatest commandment and we get to try to live it out. We love you. We give you our lives. I want our prayer team to come. If you want someone to pray with, get up here. Let us pray for you. We would love to do that. Otherwise, tables in the mall, some other stuff out there. Love you tons. Have a great rest of your weekend. Remember, go make a difference. The service starts now. God bless.